0: It's easy to hear your favorite artist on WFPK from wherever you are. Listen on your smart speaker, live stream from our website at WFPK.org, from Louisville Public Media.
1: Who needs the sun when you got Louisville?
2: Consequence Podcast Network. I've never been this nervous in my life. Hey, welcome to another edition of Kyle Meredith with It's the interview series presented by WFPK at WFPK.org Consequence and the Consequence Podcast Network Thanks as always for making your way here, checking out the series uh, I do hope you'll hit that subscribe button I put out three new interviews every single week New one every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday So it's a great way to keep up with your favorite artists And discover some new ones iTunes and Apple Podcasts at Spotify, Podchaser, NPR, WFPK.org, YouTube for the video versions, or anywhere you get your podcasts from. Subscribe to Kyle Meredith with. And that's me, Kyle Meredith, today. Catching up with Ricky Lee Jones, one of my favorite singer-songwriters of all time. I could not count the hours that I have spent with her music. And this time, we get to talk about her latest album called Pieces of Treasure. It's her first record of standards that focuses specifically on the American Songbook. So, Ricky Lee Jones is going to tell us about uh, reuniting with uh, producer Russ Teitelman. Uh, Russ co-produced her first two records uh, and taking control of her story with the recent autobiography, Last Chance Texaco Chronicles of an American Troubadour. Uh, Ricky Lee is also going to discuss what it means to sing songs that are steeped in a bygone male-dominated era and giving a new mystical sound to the uh, song Nature Boy, uh, one of the greatest songs ever written and digging up her very first publicity photo for the cover arts. So here we are, taped from a basement in Louisville, Kentucky. It's Kyle Meredith with Ricky Lee Jones. Hello. Hello, how are you?
1: Good. I have a memory of Louisville. I went there, and there's a big, I think it's Louisville, big fancy hotel, right? And um, you, you got a big old-timey cigar-smoking hotel there next to a river so i went out walking by the river and a big dead cow floated by (laughs) and i took a picture but the picture didn't show the scope you know it just looks like a little toy cow going by but uh, you know to see you had had really bad floods which we read about but until you actually see it in person it's it's hard to understand
2: we had a house down on the river and uh and, and and sure enough, flooded twice while I lived there and uh we don't live there anymore. No no dead cows though, fortunately. So
1: uh, well cows I love them, but they're not very smart and uh they probably drowned a lot more than they need to. The other thing about Louisville though is that don't you have the a Muhammad Ali museum or yep. some kind of, Yeah. So that's pretty cool. Well, yeah. I like
2: He's, um, he's actually not, he's buried not far from my house right here. It's probably two miles, maybe three at the most. So beautiful, beautiful graveyard out there. Colonel Sanders is in the same graveyard and the, the uh, <laughs> right. And the sisters that wrote happy birthday, they're also right there close to him. And uh, yeah.
1: They're partying late at night. Eat chicken and singing happy birthday. <laughs>
2: It's not as good as a New Orleans graveyard, but it's uh it's all right.
1: I had a great idea, but I don't know if I should say it, but I'm gonna say it anyway because I'll probably never do it. It it's to create a game, a board game called, you know, um the spirit realm or something. And and um as I was thinking, I'll play my five ghosts against your two pixies. <laughs> <laughs> I it, that would be a good
2: game, you know. Get on board for that. Why not? Well, let me let me get into this uh, interview officially here and um and congratulate you. Um, uh, I think that's the proper way to say it on, on Pieces of Treasure. Uh it really is, it's such a beautiful piece. You know, when it comes as the singles, and we hear a little bit here and a little bit here, you're like, that's really nice and everything. And and I mean that in absolute respect, but but there is something about hearing the album as a full peace to use that word it is such a beautiful creation that you've done here so i really do mean this congratulations on this
1: thank you yeah it wouldn't be my choice to to release it piecemeal but it does get people talking about it and and come to it and so and and what a better thing than if you if you went well that single was the best part of the album which often is is the truth i'm glad it's my instinct to create a piece, right? So I'm glad that uh, that you get it and that we did it with this group of other people's songs. We were lucky. I mean, I I could claim it with Russ, but something fantastic happened beyond our control. It just it grew into something really beautiful.
2: So, you know, the obvious parts here. Um, this is the first time that you've done the American Songbook specifically. The easy question, why?
1: Well, because I'm American. <laughs> <Why> <laughs> you know, I think I did it for Russ Tidelman, And it was in part to create these bridges to our old friendship. Because the moment I met him again and saw how full of music he is, I knew it, you know, it's always the right thing for me to be generous. And if I'm generous with with whatever little bit I have, I'll get so much back. But if I went, I think I want a young guy who's, I want Andre 3000 or whatever I want. And, but I went, this is a powerful friendship and he's a great producer. I'm gonna go with whatever he says he wants to do I think it's time for me to stop running everything and just play the singer. And so that's only part I had control over, which was to say I'm not going to have control over everything. I'm just going to be the singer. And in doing that, um, I think that's my best role. You know, I think I can do lots of jobs, but but I'm best if I can just be a singer or maybe a singer songwriter, but, but make that one job. That's a long answer, but that's, that's really how it came to be.
2: And of course, for those, you know, who have followed your career, they'll, they'll know Russ's name, but for those who don't, he was part of the uh, the production team of, uh, of your first two records. And, you know, and there is that idea. I, I don't know if it's, I, I'm not projecting here. It's more of a question, but there's that idea that if you're teaming with someone from that far in your past, is there that sense of also trying to recapture something?
1: Totally. And probably, I mean, probably wanting to recapture some sense of glory. But I think both he and I know very well at our age, I mean, he's a bit older than me, but it would be muddy and unpleasant water to try to revisit the past. You're always throwing your fishing pole into the future, right? But clearly there was some magic um, between us when we worked together. So maybe what we work on now, there'll be some magic. Maybe they won't. Maybe dead as dead can be. But dead as dead can be. (laughs) But... That's all we can do—is—is—is is, is try. But it would be a lie to say, "Oh no, I wasn't thinking about anything like that." And the other thing to tell people who don't know is that the first two records were, um, were besides being acclaimed, really pushed the musical culture—you know—from uh, the line it was on to to a wider line. I think from the folk rock thing into a more, uh, a little more black, a little more rhythm and blues, a little more jazz. And and people are talking about it a little bit now, which is really gratifying because I was watching the years go by and went, so this is what history is. People who don't know write their point of view (laughs) many years later and it becomes fact. So I wrote a memoir and then and now I begin to talk about the truth of things, you know, growing up a Catholic girl, it was a vanity to say this is this is the truth, there was a vanity to ring your own bell, you look to others to ring the bell. But as years go by and and my fans, you know, are there but I thought the, the true nature of, of me is being reshaped into something that isn't me at all. and. um you know, when I do these interviews, I never have any idea who I'm going to be <laughs> what I'm going to start talking about. But there, Russ Titleman and Lenny Warrinker produced so many great singer-songwriter albums as well as uh, Russ did George Harrison and all those Eric Clapton records and, and lots of great records. So I'm privileged and lucky that he still loves my voice and me.
2: And we'll be right back right after this. Shout out to uh, Astapro for sponsoring this episode and providing us with free samples. Uh, I I live in Kentucky, in the Midwest, and allergies, yeah, I suffer. When I say I suffer from allergies, I suffer from allergies. And around here, everyone I know deals with allergies to some degree. And for a long time, I thought it was just something that I would have to live with, which is a real problem um, for anything, but especially when you're a radio host it affects my voice it affects my mood it affects everything and i feel like i've tried every i've tried all the medicines some of them work better than others but there's there's never a perfect one out there especially because some of them take forever to actually work and some of them don't work at all and then there's astapro the fastest solution to nasal allergy symptoms That's A S T E P R O allergy.com. Astapro and Go. Use as directed for relief of nasal congestion, runny nose, sneezing, and itchy nose due to allergies.
3: What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify?
2: Welcome back. It's Kyle Meredith with Ricky Lee Jones. So getting into the songs then, I'm sure you had some ideas and I'm sure he probably had some ideas, but, but when it comes down to it, you know, to, I read your song by song that was given in the press and and it's so interesting to hear, you know, how you like, um, like there will never be another you and how you find your way into that song, especially as you said, the glib. Attitude of the 1930s and the and quoting you, the masculine bullshit that comes in there. So, so I'd love to hear more about that, like because you know that a lot of these songs do come from that era, and that was such a big part of it. How do you find your reflection in these songs that carry so much of that part of the story?
1: That's right, because they're super modern for the time. And one of the things that was super cool and super modern of the time, which was to be a little dominant somebody said to me yeah how do you say that he's gay as if if you're gay you're not also a guy who's dominant I mean (laughs) what are you talking about I don't know but um she was talking about Cole Porter but but the exciting thing is that in their time they're at the vanguard of points of view shaping how people are talking reflecting the language of the time right so when he's saying uh They'll be, I said, how can you say this to somebody? There's going to be a lot of other nights with other people. I know, so I get lost. <laughs> I was like, how, how am I going to say this seriously? I'll be standing here with someone new. There'll be other songs and other things that seem so dismissive initially. I thought, well, maybe, maybe she jilted him and he's just trying to land on his feet, or maybe. I'm just going to have to find a way to make the complex emotions that are in these words m- m- my reality, rather than the, uh, I, know, I know you and me aren't going to go very far, um, because it's, it is really beautiful. There'll never be another you. I can find that with many people I've loved and, and will always miss. So that's what I put my hooks in because singing a song is like taking a part and acting all the things about the song. I know everything about the character, what she's wearing, where she's sitting, who she loved, and it it will always be that way. Once I commit to sing a song, I will always have that character with me. So I'm very careful about um, whose point of view I, I allow to become my point of view. You know what I mean? because for me they're never just singing you know my home is in the blue ridge mountains it's singing a song that i construct into myself and put myself into how about that
2: (laughs) well that's it so does all the do all the characters then become you is 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 that what you're saying or do you still kind of keep a cast flowing in your in your head as well
1: uh does one cancel out the other i think yeah i think that you know the the person or people that i am when i sing we belong together are still exactly who they were in 1983 um but then when i sing take a walk around mid i'm then i'm that girl you know is that answer what you said
2: you know i, I talk to a lot of uh, a lot of film and tv uh actors as well and um you know, one of the questions, one of the things I'm always interested in is, are they able to leave the character after the set, you know, or or do they, Do is that, do they carry that on their back the whole time when you're doing an album like this? And even knowing that, you know, you all recorded this in five days, and I'm sure it was a longer process than just those five days, but, but still like, like, do you carry these characters after the microphone is off?
1: Wonderful question, but I have the feeling that no, I've often described them as houses, which is a a better way to say, I go into the house when I sing the song. And it's always the same. The window's always here, which is saying, if I lean to this way, it can be a sadder song. Or if I lean that way, I'll, I'll find the humor in it. It just, but it's always that same structure. And I think um, they, I'm not bothered by them. There's no, uh, (laughs) <laughs> Ghost realm uh, game being played here. No, I don't think so. But the but the ones that I write are a comp It's a complex relationship with them because they are my unconscious being funneled into you know uh, order, and then a melody put to it, which is pure emotion. And and will always be the way into emotion for anybody who sings it, and it can be trouble because if it's created from some terrible despair, that will be waiting for me whenever I sing it. So so they can get heavy, but they are just songs. And uh, post traumatic stress is not the song. So eventually, you know, you got to deal with everything. Did that answer that question?
2: Yeah, and and Launch is another one, actually, because, you know, also knowing that you have your own memories tied to these, uh, you talk about your father introducing you to to several of these. and, And then does that become, I hope I'm not getting too heady with this question, does that become then its own compromise? Because now you're creating sort of something new out of the song, but yet it's tied to something so personal in your past.
1: I don't see any compromise because as long as you're creating art, you know, a thing is growing. It's not creating and keeping it as it was, that will kill it. Um, So it's nice that my dad taught me these songs and it makes all the ways I'm gonna look for a new way to do it um, more profound somehow. So if dad taught me, listen, Grab your coat, sunny side of the street. These two songs I sang to audition for the Lou King show when I was eight years old. That was a local Phoenix talent show for kids. Went in swinging, I might never have a set, but I'm rich as Rockefeller, right? Just giving it my all. So when I go to do it now, all the history with it of of, of auditioning and maybe my grandpa doing it on vaudeville and that that afternoon my dad taught it to me, they're all there. So there's a sweet, bittersweet, sentimental thing right away, and then and then it opens up for a brand new interpretation of the song. I think I love that. All you're hearing is a slow version, right, uh, of, of it. But all the things you feel, I suspect, have to do with all the things I'm feeling as I sing it.
2: And and I think I can pick so many different examples on these songs. You did Nature Boy. Nature Boy is, I mean, it, you know, top five songs of all time for me, if, if I got to pick them, right? Like, it's just one of those songs. And seeing it on the track list and then hearing what you did with it, like... I was like, "Oh my god, what is that instrument?" you know, and 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 what I uh, sorry and, and lost it again. What what is that instrument? I called it, you know, it's an a, eastern guitar.
1: It's a oud. It's a oud. It's a, I I think my fellow was is Armenian and his father was or is um, I don't know if he's alive, the premier oud player um who who lived in the country. So the, the this like the great um I wouldn't compare it to the great banjo player, but it's, it's you know, it's a revered instrument over there.
4: And here, too.
2: Yeah, right. And But to still find something new in a song like that, I mean, you've got this somewhat definitive Nat King Cole version. You know, I've got Bowie over my shoulder. He did a great version for uh, Moulin Rouge, I believe that soundtrack. You know, to to still find something new to do with this song, I'm like, that's incredible. <laughs> <laughs> by the way. How did you all land on that?
1: I think I just thought of it as a, as a cause. You know, when I saw it, they, they seem like they're in the cosmos. If they're traveling, I met a boy, a very strange, enchanted boy. So we're going to have to go somewhere that's strange and enchanting to us, right? And uh, I, it messages reminded me of, of a place far away in the Mideast. And Russ said, I've got it. The The Ood. Oh, you should know how we constructed that was um, we played it in that five day period and left space for the oud. Then he came in and he played three solos. And then I said, let's just have him play. I mean, the, the, the solo is not enough of this instrument. So he played two times. He played for a couple minutes. And then we just put that in the front of the of the song.
2: it's fantastic, yeah and in space, you mentioned space, I wrote even the, it's all in the game, it's being comfortable with pacing and space and air, like that's there's so many people who just couldn't handle that.
1: That's what I'm all about, <laughs> making people <laughs> uncomfortable. <laughs> Yeah, I, I think that, that uh, when you draw it out like that and, and even leave space for a solo that never happens, then you're listening to how tenderly everybody's playing. And um, it keeps the emphasis on the voice.
2: The cover photo, I wanted to ask about that, because where, where does that come from?
1: That comes. That's the first publicity picture I ever did before I got signed. I was sure of the photographer, but when I talked to her, she said, I didn't take that picture. And so I was like, oh, wow, this really is mysterious. It was in my drawer all these years and um, in a little sheet of plastic. So when I, I was trying so hard to find uh, some kind of art to represent this work, because if you hit the wrong thing, it's just, it's. Just, and what I saw was an iconic picture of an iconic woman, and that is what we've created. We've created another great group of music that that easily represents um, how things might be done in the future. But uh, either way, they are. I hate to use going to say the brand but they are Ricky Lee Jones right even though we think of this music as sophisticated and oh so subtle and there's nothing very subtle about the picture but somehow of all my choices this seemed like and why do we do a cover anyways so you look <laughs> so <laughs> they got to look at this
2: it is it's iconic and so much of what you've done and 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 let me say that uh, specifically Your music has meant so much to me uh, all across your discography, all across these decades. Thank you so much for continuing to do it. Pieces of Treasure is a treasure. It is a piece of treasure. I mean that. Uh, And thank you so much for taking the time to talk about it today, too.
0: Thank you for helping us take it out there to the world.
2: Now while we're here, I'm going to include a uh, an interview that Ricky Lee Jones and I did back in 2015. Uh, this was a, a spirited conversation about politics, religion, being misunderstood, sense of place, and at that moment, her album "The Other Side of Desire." This is part two of Kyle Meredith with Ricky Lee Jones.
4: Hi, how are you?
2: I was not expecting French when I uh, when I called.
4: Yes, <laughs> <laughs> they parlay French up here. <laughs>
2: It was nice. How how are the uh, rehearsals going?
4: Fantastic. It's a really good band. It's hard to rehearse, you know, and it's just been really good. I I hired uh, these four guys I worked with last year, my last gig here, and, and also a girl who sings and plays mandolin and violin. It's going to be really fun. Yeah. I feel really good about it.
2: Why do you say the rehearsals are... Why why is it hard to rehearse?
4: It's hard because uh, I don't like to rehearse. I like, just like to perform. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, if something isn't quite right, you know, because everybody's always doing their best, so if something's not quite right, how do you convey to them what it is you want without... You know, it's a lot of languages, the language of the drum or the bass or the guitar. So it's stressful to, uh, for me, you know, to be a band leader and know what to say, when to say it, how to say it, to make it go right mm-hmm. instead of wrong. How long? And they're d- really good. You know, I, I haven't hardly ever, I mean, it's incredible, because usually there's a lot of strenuous... You know, ringing out of certain portions of some song that somebody doesn't get—it
2: hasn't happened. Well, I can't wait to hear these songs live myself. Uh, you've put together uh, another great record with Other Side of Desire. Uh, Thank you. It's, it's a beautiful record, and and I know you've talked a little bit, uh, well, quite a bit about the album at this point, especially that the title. I feel like you can flip it in so many ways. It reminds me of a Rubik's cube. If if it.
4: <laughs> <laughs> you know. You're right. You know that's the thing I like about language, um, especially in writing songs. Is you know, either the way you spell it or say it, you can um, have double entendre or, or even more than double. <laughs> mm-hmm. People can take it any way they want. Yeah, So it, it's funner.
2: Yeah. <laughs> and it is. There's there's so many different versions of of what that could mean, and and it's it's really it's it's fun. It is. It's it's very fun. It's playful. Uh, I know you've talked a lot about also the city, and I hear a lot of artists say that, like, oh, we went to this city because we wanted to be inspired by it. But you don't actually usually hear that within the record. It always sounds like the artist. Yet for you, your record sounds like New Orleans in in every sense of the word. Like, I believe you when you say the city is so crucial to this record.
4: So I'm going to guess that the thing that comes through... The music is what comes through in my life. And there's a kind of, I don't want to say joie de vie because that sounds a little pretentious, but there's a thing happening in New Orleans on the streets that happens nowhere else. If you've been there, you know it. But there's something happening right now among youth. There's a bunch of tattooed kids there playing sousaphones and banjos and living a truly off-the-grid and making it work there's a little bit of san francisco 1968 Mm -hmm. it's a different country now but there's something there i'm witnessing i know i am i'm seeing it through my own rose-colored glasses you know but but there's a friendliness there that that i never uh, experienced in los angeles from every person i pass on the street there's a sense of belonging from everybody I pass on the street. And, and in the West, we just don't have it. You know, we're pioneers. We're travelers. We're on our way someplace else. And to be in this place where youth is and music is and tradition all being mixed up together, I think that's what made its way into, the, into my music. Because I've always been really careful never to... Participate in a sound or movement that is already existing, mm-hmm. whether it's you know a big band sound or new wave or punk rockers or this scene. You know, because to me, my house is where it's happened. Right. <laughs> you know? right. And and we make it happen. We're the scene whoever we are, you know, in your house as well. So so to go there and 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 say I know that I, I want to use all this music was it was a real departure for me, but I think I succeeded. I think it, I think it's exciting of life. I don't think it's derivative.
2: You know what I mean? No, very much so. I know
4: you don't either. but I No, I do
2: know what you time time. mean. I know exactly what you mean. It, it, and it's interesting, the way you talk about that, the way you talk about a movement happening like, like you said, like in, in 1968 and, and all of that. One thing that surprised me a little bit about this record with as much as you are conscious about world happenings uh especially the the darker side of world happenings, and i won 't say crusading at all but um but you know you're very aware and, and you talk about it online and everything, but that didn't exactly make it into this record and they 've done it in the past, but there wasn't like any politics this time around like that wasn't a part of this
4: i've only done that with one record yeah. I put I in my life, but I only ventured out there musically one time i It was just such an awful time in America that to to not say something to me would have been like being in Nazi Germany. Mm-hmm. So um so yeah, I think it's it it took some effort to weave politics into a musical frame. It's not really my natural thing. Not that I like to sometimes I like to voice my opinion but um but even that is you know, everybody has a right to voice their opinion, but as a public person it's it's a it's a whole other scene. It's so bizarre. Yeah.
2: It's probably a vague question, but you know, here here we are in America, and we're going into the elections, and it's all starting up again. Are you are you optimistic or 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 pessimistic?
4: Optimistic about what? <laughs> the
2: state of affairs, I guess.
4: <laughs> you know, I think on a political level, on a larger level, I think that when Dwight Eisenhower warned us about the 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 political, military machine, I think, and that was like 1952 or 51 or something, I think that thing that he warned us about is so powerful and terrifying now Mm -hmm. um, that we, we probably can't even fathom what's really happening. So on the things that we might be able to affect, like women's rights, how women are perceived, or that everybody should be entitled to have free health care because we pay a huge amount of taxes. <laughs> it's not free. It's, it's, we're paying for it. Mm-hmm. Or all these things. I'm a little bit optimistic that discussion and change can happen. But I'm also really pessimistic that about my country because I think that business owns my country. Right. I don't think that people do anymore. And I think... I feel sometimes like they allow us to have things. I don't think we are entitled to them, you know? I feel kind of... I don't know. I'm I'm optimistic as a person. When I wake up in the morning, I'm happy to be alive. But politically, I would say, no, I'm probably not. I'm probably pessimistic. I really
2: thought about it. And it feels like it would only just take that big uh, public support, uh, a wave. You see it in so many other countries, it just doesn't happen here. You kind of take what you're given almost, even when you're not happy with it.
4: And you say, this is what I should have. You know, it's a strange slave mentality, like, how dare you try to give me more?
2: <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> And I I guess, you know, when I was looking at that and and kind of looking at, you know, some past interviews where you've talked a little bit about this stuff, and and, and you've even talked about spirituality, and I thought, you know, for someone who, and and I might be completely misquoting you or misreading you here, but kind of found some spirituality later in life, usually you don't equate, you know, this kind of spirituality with what I would call left-leaning politics. Uh, Like, you did it different than most people, I feel like.
4: (laughs) Yeah, I'm a unique person. I think I'm... Um, and and you know, I I go to church all the time, but it's because I love the ritual of the Catholic Church. I don't in any way adhere to or feel obliged to any kind of um, religion. You know, I like the story of Jesus. I I personally don't think he had to rise from the dead in order for him to, his story to be interesting, but important to us in fact it's what he said that matters not that he rose from the dead so I'd probably be exorcised from the Catholic Church <laughs> that. so I'm very left wing and yet in some places not at all um so I guess i'm 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 and the spirituality no I've always been a very spiritual person I've written about angels from the very beginning and heart of all the world has hardly ever faltered. It has a few times, but I think I've always been uh, interested and enchanted with the invisible world, however it uh, offers itself to me. I would
2: say you're a complicated person, like most human beings. Like It's not a black and white yeah. thing.
4: Hopefully, most people don't just go down the party line.
2: Right. <laughs> I was watching the, uh, th- there's a new documentary on Nina Simone and uh, I was just seeing it the other day and uh, it seems like both of you guys were very misunderstood in, the, in, in in about the same way because of the way you would write about all of these things and then, you know, you, because you're a complicated person is what I'm getting to, but you know, and, and all that. It's, you know, going through your career a little bit misunderstood. Did you feel like that?
4: Sometimes. I mean, I, I can only guess how I'm perceived, but sometimes, like, you know, it, it, depending on the decade or the... Or the half decade, or I sometimes felt um, just just in my, I could I would only speak about my career, mm-hmm. and the perception of me in my career. I sometimes felt like uh, people weren't, you know, like there was a backlash against Chuckys in Love, and once that happened, that that all the good work maybe because I had no publicist or for whatever or wasn't a part of a scene or. Just don't know. So yeah, I guess there's been times. Yeah. I feel so optimistic right now. It's hard to um, it's hard to see through those eyes, but I'm pretty sure I have. Felt, so,
2: yeah. <laughs> well, I know that's you know you were always experimenting, and and that can rub people the wrong way, and 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 that's one reason why right. I love your career. You know because you're always experimenting, thinking about the song of the song is is kind of how I how I've seen you you know get along. When, yeah. you, when you're doing that, though, does it, does it really, at this far end of the game, now you're decades into the game, uh, do you find it difficult to find new territory?
4: Oh, I don't think so. You know, uh, uh, not so far, no. I, I think uh, the curious mind always, you know, there's so much more I could do. and Things I'm thinking of doing things in different ways and manifesting it, you know, I'll tell you this little scenario. I wanted to get my hair dyed red and blonde uh, a few years ago, and I went to four different salons, and every single person, I swear to God, said, no, no, we can't dye your hair red and blonde. It wouldn't look good. And so so in manifesting the vision that you see, you can meet a bunch of people who've already decided what you should do and who they think you are, right? Mm -hmm. And they won't help you do what you want to do so it's not that i don't have visions and new ideas but but can i manifest them we'll see
2: well i can't wait to see where you go with everything uh again thank you ricky lee jones i love the other side of desire and 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 i'm sure i will love everything that comes from uh here on out as well thanks Uh, for calling yep thank you ricky have a great day and a great tour
4: i will thanks Bye. bye
2: And my thanks to Ricky Lee Jones. Again, the new album is called Pieces of Treasure. And thanks to you, of course, for checking out the series. Please do hit that subscribe button while you're hanging around. Again, you get three new interviews every single week, new and every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, so you can keep up with your favorite artists and discover the new ones at iTunes and Apple Podcasts, at Spotify, Podchaser, NPR, WFBK.org, YouTube for the video versions, or anywhere you get your podcasts from. Subscribe to Kyle Meredith With. Then after that, head over to wfpk.org. That's where I do a show, Monday through Friday, 6 p.m. Eastern. An hour full of song premieres and music news, anniversary spins, bonus interviews. That's Monday through Friday, 6 p.m. Eastern at wfpk.org. Consequence has your music and film news. You can also find me on the social media spots. That's uh, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, all three of them. The address is at Kyle Meredith. So do hope you like and follow along. And that does it for another edition. I'm Kyle Meredith. I'll see you next time. consequence podcast
0: network
1: watch out for floating cows
0: it's easy to hear your favorite artist on wfpk from wherever you are listen on your smart speaker live stream from our website at wfpk.org from louisville public media